small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey, everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dotson. And Kyle joining us today in the Zoom room from uh, from the state of New York. The guy's name yes. is Troy Torreson. He's been waiting to do this for about five months now. So let's bring him in. Troy, how you doing? Great. Great today. Thanks, guys. So, I'm Troy. Wait to be here. This has really been exciting. So, Troy, where are you in New York currently in the state? Currently, I am in my apartment building. Uh, we are a one block away from the famous Mud Club, which is the subject of the show, which is in Lower Manhattan. It's uh, if you know if you know Manhattan at all, New York City. Uh, it's it's south of Canal Street, basically. That's uh, one way of looking at Lower Manhattan. Some people go further north to you know 14th Street, and anything below that is downtown. But um, we're pretty far downtown here, which is. Uh, been um an, an interest it's been an interesting time the last uh, seven months or so i'm since sure the, uh since things have been locked down yeah so and so yeah that was one of the reasons why we we talked about doing the show and here's the reason troy's here yeah. um i did a patreon was it a patreon contest it's a Patreon contest so, where, yeah. where if you if you win, it was just a random drawing, and if you win, you get to pick the topic and you get to co-host virtually. And Troy won this thing, and I, I swear to God, it was back in May. And we've been trying to get this uh, on the books for all these months. It's all my fault. I would uh, I would actually forget about it, and then it would just jump in my head, and then I would send Troy an email and say, Troy, I haven't forgotten about it, even though I actually did forget about it. And so. Um, Eventually, uh, we got it all worked out. And Troy, uh, Troy, the uh, the title of the episode are we just calling it the Mud Club, or do you have some do you have a some better title? Not that that's not a good title, but I mean, do you have something? Or it's just the Mud Club. Uh, I think you said the Mud Club, the Mud Club and Beyond. I think we we were saying because it, it is a little bit up past just the, the bands that would play there. But gotcha. I think there's this whole interesting <clears throat> time that I was thinking about it because. Uh, I think that interesting time in New York, the late seventies to the early eighties, that's, that's kind of the, the time I look back on as recent history of New York culture. And it was, a lot of it was because, you know, New York was cheap. Uh, people, artists could live here. They could afford to live here. And it was really the last time that happened. Yeah. And I was sort of thinking about right now, New York might become cheap again. <laughs> you know, some people are talking about these cities being dead and a lot of, there's so many empty storefronts. And I'm hoping that some of the cool um, culture that was created can come back because right now, if a young artist type, it's a it's a really hard place to live. And so Troy, again, Troy's in New York. I'm in California, and Kyle, you are in San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. This is crazy. This is look at this technology. It's like the Jetsons. We're triangulating. <laughs> yeah. And Troy, it's how long? Futuristic. It's so cool. How long have you been in New York, Troy? All your life? Did you born and raised? No, no. I, I was born in the Minneapolis suburban area, and uh, then I, I I spent some time in Chicago. Uh, so I have a some sort of torn loyalties between those those two cities, and then um, moved to New York in the mid '90s. So I've been here long enough to probably 
be confused when I get asked the question, where are you from? And are you, uh, are you married? Do you have kids? Are you single? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm married. I, uh, been living with my wife here since, uh, as I said, about, about 20 years and, um, in the same apartment. And, uh, our, we have a 17 year old daughter who is a budding musician. Excellent. That's great. And, um, have you introduced some of this yeah. mud club music to her? Uh, <laughs> that's kind of a funny, uh, maybe that's a good segue into something, but, uh, with very little success, uh, <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, I played this, some of this in the car and my wife, uh, you know, we'll make a few comments about it later in some of the songs, but you know, does not necessarily go over well <laughs> with the uh, more pop sensibilities of my, uh, my, my people I live with. So when I first asked you about the mud club, I said, Oh, is it like CBGB's? And you were like, well, yes and and no is it because the more well-known bands came out of cbgb's like talking heads ramones blondie television and maybe uh not so well bands came out of the mud club (laughs) yeah i think some of those bands uh you know performed there Uh, i mean the first opening night uh b52s played so they did have some bands that were like uh more popular but um yeah, I mean, what happened is, I think, is that the scene uh, around CBGBs kind of hardened into punk. It kind of became a formula, and people wanted more and more of that kind of like, you know, hardcore. Yeah. And, um, you know, people started decamping into other places to get away from that because it got a little bit too macho. You yeah. Know? I mean, you, you know, punk, punk gets a little bit uh, aggressive with, you know, people uh, moshing and all that. And I think that some of these more artistic types uh, moved into other spaces just to try different things. And so you had this real flourishing of clubs just all over the place in lower Manhattan, um, in some uptown as well, like, uh, the peppermint lounge, mm-hmm. uh, danceateria, you had dance clubs like, uh, paradise garage. Um, you had, you know, queer clubs like pyramid. There was just so many interesting things going on at that time. Uh, and it was pretty much anybody seemingly could just open up a club. It was seemed like, you know, there were all these empty spaces, all these old buildings that nobody had any use for. So I think that's, that's one of the th- reasons why it's, it seems like an interesting confluence of people coming to the city attracted by the music scene and also just kind of changing and saying, Oh, that's old hat. We're going to try something new over here. So this wouldn't be a club that had a bar because you, you, you would have to get a liquor license and all that. Was it just, you could just bring your own beer in yeah. and whatever. No, it, it, it did have a bar. Oh, it uh, did. Most of these places were bars. Yeah. And they had, a, you know, a cover charge and they had a, you know, something like a, <clears throat> um, a DJ booth and all that sort of stuff, a dance floor at, at Mud Club, you know, so it, it was a, a proper club. It, of course, the neighbors hated it. Um, I'm glad I, I'm glad it's not open right now because I live a block away. I'd be hearing all the people smoking and talking and having parties outside um, in a way. It's, uh, you know, I'm now a, a grumpy uh middle-aged person. So I'm sure it would be much less popular today. And, and it was, it only lived for, you know, 19, 1978 to the, you know, 1982 or so. Yeah. So only like uh, four or five years. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and then basically after that, it came, the city kind of got priced out of that. I mm-hmm. mean, everything got too expensive. Let's preface this with Kyle. Kyle, uh, in the history of rock solid, what's the worst episode that you ever produced is for, in regard to the music that uh, you didn't like what was it oh it was dire straits for okay. sure it was dire straits for sure oh, so then i like dire straits well, dire straits is like dad rock you know like like i like um steely dan i i i'm 
I'm a very interesting uh, test case for you because I think I like uh, this this weird wimpy music on one side and then the kind of edgy stuff on the other side and then a lot of stuff in the middle I don't really like too much. Well, here's here's the setup for this, Troy. Kyle sends me a text the other day and the text says, oh no, I think we have a new winner for my least favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> Music awesome. wise, <laughs> music wise, music yeah, wise, yeah, nothing totally. to do with you, Troy. It. No, and uh, no, I was just listening to snippets I, I, of things when I was uh, don't couch your feelings, like, oh, Kyle. Man, don't like, oh, this is this is a loose base on everything. <laughs> and then I looked, I was like, Did you send me the same song 13 times? <laughs> oh, based on how they all oh, started, but no, no, he's uh, making a yeah, joke, Troy. He's seemed, saying they all sounded the same I, to him. Oh yeah. wow! Well, it made ACDC look like diverse. Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there, there are definitely some uh, clear the room. There's some clear the room artists in this group where I can't you put on wait. music, um, and and people just like flee. Uh, and I, I've, I definitely, uh, you know, I don't, I don't play a lot of that sort of thing myself. So I've tried to pick the poppier numbers and some of these songs <laughs> that are maybe a hard listen at first. Uh-huh. Well, this you know, is... they, they're a hard listen first. They kind of grow on you, you know. Like um, I'm sure you all have examples of this, where it's like at first, like for instance, in my case, the first time I heard the Ramones, I was like, ah, this is so hard. Ah, I can't take <laughs> this. This is so anti-music. This is so non-commercial. I can't handle it. It now it's on AT and T commercials. Yeah, you know now it's the most bubblegummy, yeah. poppy sounding stuff. Yep. and it's like, what happened? Did I change or did what? What happened? And I think there's a lot of things like that, that, you know, you kind of grow older or whatever, and you just kind of like start hearing things and stuff that you hated earlier. And, you know, you change and like, you know, it's um, maybe we'll hope to turn somebody on to some of this. I mean, maybe one or two of these tracks will catch on with people and, and they'll go, oh, I'll dig a little deeper and find out about some of that stuff. Well, I'm, I'm excited to get into it right now, Troy. Do you want to tell us a, whatever you want to tell us, Troy, you want to give us history? You want to tell us what? Whatever you want to tell us about the bands or anything, we are we're we're an open book, and uh, right. and what's the so, first? What go ahead. Well, you know, the, set, setting the context of the time, right? So the late seventies, you know, there was this super, uh, you know, disco. You know, disco was huge, and so a lot of this music is kind of post disco, anti disco, mm-hmm. but dance music. And then there was also at the same time, you know, bands like Foreigner you know, super produced head, you know, very popular rock bands and, and the cars, you know, new wave music was kind of coming in with things like um, Blondie. And and so I think people that sort of wanted to stand out, they were like, well, how do we, how do we kind of do something more arty and different and more, uh, more, less commercial than that, you know? And, and what it led to is, is kind of more, maybe more interesting than what it was. Cause right. I think a lot of bands like Nirvana industrial music can trace its roots to a lot of this stuff. Um, noise rock, like Sonic Youth, you know, kind of got its start. Um, you know, there were a lot of direct descendants and indirect descendants that I think are the most interesting. And, and of course, the Mud Club also um, attracted amazing artists like Jean-Michel Basquiat, you know, worked there, played in a band that sometimes played there. Um, you had incredible filmmakers like uh, um, Jim Jarmusch, you know, hanging out there. People like Steve Buscemi, the actor, was hanging out there with, um, you know, just an interesting mix of people and, and, and just an interesting time in the city. So I, I just wanted to kind of as a tribute to that time and that place, uh, 
have the show and this music. I love it. This isn't in my wheelhouse at all. And I'm so excited. If you can, yeah, that's you, another reason is, you know, I kind of looked in your database of like what you haven't talked about and bands you've never really covered. And, and most of these bands, I think have never been on your show. That's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. If you could, uh, if you could pinpoint and give us, uh, who would be the most popular mud club band? If there is such a thing. Yeah. Is it dire yeah. straits? um was that just a drop yeah what happened kyle did you No, that was like that was an ad on the this thing i didn't have my ad blocker turned on (laughs) well can i ask what it was was an ad for oh maybe that's maybe that's some band Uh, um okay so i think it was a car or a beer commercial oh are we gonna get are are we gonna get ad revenue from that since we put that out there real quickly i I hope so i hope so that would be great okay so I'd say the most popular thing that most people have heard probably is um, there was a band called Liquid Liquid that that used a, a, a lot of percussion and a lot of like instruments that are very bass heavy and it's very good, good like funky music and it's been sampled um, by uh, you know one of the biggest rap songs of all time. So I think that's a song that most people have will hear and go, oh, I know that. That's that's from um, you know one of the earliest big rap songs. Okay, uh, cool. White Lines, which was a big uh, rap hit. And what are we so getting? That's, that's not very popular. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the first song on the playlist today? I believe we have Richard Hell and the Voidoids with the Blank Generation. Now, they're kind of like a pre mud band. So they're, they're kind of more CBGB's era. Mm-hmm. Um, older, I think, and was in the band television, like you mentioned them, they're kind of CBGB yeah. scene, but the term blank generation, I think kind of defines this group. It's kind of like the, we want to, we want to X everything out. We want to, you know, it's the, the, the sort of catch all name for this music is no wave, which was sort of like an anti-movement to say, you know, we don't want to be like punks. We don't want to be commercial, like new wave. We just want to nullify everything. So that's why the music is so fun to listen to. All right. Well, let's listen to, uh, let's listen to this first song. And I have heard of uh, Richard Hell. So Maybe, maybe I'm going to enjoy this. You ready, Kyle? Okay, this is an on-the-fly review. I like that song a lot. That was cool. I liked how it took a little time to, to for the song to happen, and then once it kicked in, I yeah. liked it. Kyle? Yeah, it's got a little yeah, swing to up- it. It's got a little punk rock swagger. I mean, Richard Hell is, um, you know, interesting character, kind of not super successful in the long run, but, um, you know, he, he's credited with creating the punk rock look um, because he wore sort of like, you know, old army fatigues and would safety pin them together. And Malcolm McLaren went back to London after seeing them play at CBGB's and was like, you all have to look like this, man. This is the cool look. 
And people, uh, you know, sort of copied that look from uh, from Richard Helm. And did he safety pin them together because they were falling apart or did he safety yeah. pin them? So he wasn't doing that to create a look. It, it was a necessity. Right. I mean, that's that's usually how how fashion works. Right. There's some sort of functional reason for something and then somebody misinterprets it. And, and over stylizes it and it becomes kind of like a fashion statement. Like, for example, if I'm a hillbilly and my pants are falling down, I tie it up with a rope. Yeah, or your <laughs> pants are falling around your ankles and that becomes a look because uh, I guess prisoners. I don't know. I don't know why that that, that pants falling down the look is still a look. But, uh, you know, there are all sorts of fashion yeah. choices that people make that I, I don't think there's any good explanation for. But um, apparently that is that is a real story. Kyle, um, Troy and I are older than you are. Uh, when I see a kid that his, his pants are falling, you know, his pants are down around his butt and his underwear is sticking out, I think that looks ridiculous. What do you think as a 30-year-old man? Uh, yeah, I don't like that. I I'm I come from it as I wouldn't like it if my pants were falling down. <laughs> it doesn't even look so comfortable. Like, I, fi- I find it would be, uh, yeah, uncomfortable. You have to walk in a way then that keeps them from falling down. Yeah, I like sometimes I have like a few pair of pants that I like have to wear a belt with. And if I forget the belt and I'm walking, it's like super annoying to like keep hiking them up, them up. And then just like I couldn't do this. All right. And then the next question is, uh, what did you think of the Richard Hell song? Oh, uh, yeah, I like that a lot better than the first five seconds that I heard of it when I was queuing it up. So <laughs> so maybe you queued these uh, up no, and you, you didn't listen to all the songs. So you're going to get it. Oh, no, I, I just like the heads and tails. You did a snap judgment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK. All right, Troy, what's next? We like that one. We're all we're all in on the mud club right now. Now, three songs in, we might hate it. Oh. But right now we're all, all right. in. Am I, am I muted? Um, no. Okay. I can hear you so, now. I can hear you. Uh, sorry, technical difficulties here. Uh, the next song is Contort Yourself by James Chance. Uh, he and the Contortions. Uh, he's uh, kind of a, you know, I think you can do a whole show if you haven't already on on the saxophone and rock and roll. Like uh, he, he was a saxophone guy. And I think um, he'd be on the, you know, more punk rock side of the saxophone, which, those two things usually don't go together. No, Maybe punk rock and saxophone that. doesn't uh, go together. <laughs> well, that's about what we're here. What are you, that's oh. about what we're to hear. Okay. <laughs> okay, Kyle, let me hear it. It's better than pleasure. Sounded like someone was farting. The noise that the the horn was making sounded like a. <laughs> I didn't hate that either, though. No, it's kind of it's crazy kind of... fun. I mean, apparently that they were like a real riot live. Like, I think that's one of those things that doesn't really maybe translate uh, in recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it was. Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's quite a uh, fist flying, uh, confront the audience, um, quite a show. So it's one of those, I guess you had to be there kind of bands. So I, I don't really love a lot of their music, but um, that song, I think it has some positive uh, elements to it that, you know, it'll wake you up. It's got a little bit of a tonic fit flavor to it. Like, you know, contort yourself, get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of so bands like that. Like it almost has like a James Brown feel to it. Yes, it does. Yeah. 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 It's funky. I mean, it's definitely, uh, you know, got a beat that you can, uh, dance to as they used to say on the Dick Clark show. Um, but it's not, uh, it's not pop music by any means. So no. it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a vinegar, um, rather than a sweet tune. And it's also very DIY and like a little bit lo-fi. Um, yeah. And I think that's a good segue to the next song, which is, you know, has that, uh, very lo-fi early synthesizer vibe to it, which, um, you know, I think is, is one of the elements of a lot of these bands. They, they were, they, almost none of these bands recorded with any kind of, you know, spending a week in the studio on one song uh, budget. You know, these were all done, like, e even when Brian Eno, you know, came to New York to record a lot of these artists, um, he, they, they just basically recorded live and, and didn't, um, didn't do any studio trickery at all. So it, it is very raw. Well, that's good sometimes too, because, um, you know, like sometimes a band is the best when they're live. And if a producer is able to capture that in the studio, then those records yeah. uh, kick ass. So let's see uh, what happens with this band. What's what's the band? What's the song? Uh, the next song is by a band called Suicide. And the song is Dream Baby Dream. All right. take on this song the the cacophony of uh of i don't know what instruments those were that we were hearing but if you if you put those a little bit down in the mix and you bring that vocal up a little bit and then you have chris isaac sing that vocal <laughs> I, that's probably a hit song of some sort maybe i mean uh so you could you can totally hear uh you know some of the things that you know these guys influence like the cars mm -hmm. their synthesizers you you can in fact the cars directly ripped off some of their stuff um depeche mode you know that sort of twangy little um synthesizer 
sound from the early days of like synth bands like Soft Cell, those kind of bands, you know, they're definitely part of that whole movement. Uh, but they were really early. I mean, they were like, I think they started around 1970. Mm-hmm. So it's like they were playing this and they got absolutely, I mean, one of the things that's so, so interesting about these guys is the how brave you had to be to get on stage and and do these droney synthesizer songs at a time when everybody was playing guitars. I mean, they were just literally booed off the stage um, so many times. So there's a lot of guts involved in doing something that's just totally unique. Like they were not following many trends. They were not part of some, uh, um, you know, you know, large vanguard of bands doing this. They were out there on their ledge. But was a band like this accepted at the Mud Club? Like you could go to the Mud Club and do anything and you wouldn't be booed off the stage there. That's right. So I think that's about, you know, these kind of artsier spaces were were safe spaces, you know, for some of these more out there acts. Uh, Because people went to that place expecting uncommercial things. They expected things that were, you know, for you know, the Midwest would be considered weirdos, you know, that kind of thing. It was, it was kind of like a club for weirdos. I wonder, were these artists, did they want to break through and be successful or were they anti-success also? I think uh, a lot of them were anti-success. So um, especially like the next artists we're going to play, uh, you know, literally uh, undermined themselves at every turn, you know, <laughs> to not be signed by a major label, to not listen to a producer, to not, you know, um, follow uh any commercial path that you know be like what blonde do what blonde did no do the opposite all right and who is it who are we hearing uh the next artist we have is lydia lunch who was um fronting here the band uh teenage jesus and the jerks (laughs) and the song is i woke up dreaming <laughs> okay. All right. When you uh, when you watch a movie and they and uh, someone's trapped behind enemy lines and they have to play some music to make them give up the information, that's that. Me, I'm I'm giving it up immediately. That sounds like a bunch of. Uh, like you just threw instruments into a nursery school and said, uh, have at it kids. But wow. Yeah. yeah. That is wow. Isn't it? I mean, that is the opposite the of Blondie. You're right. That's the opposite of Blondie. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine the guts it would take you to get on stage? It, yeah, totally. And and the, to me, it's very gutsy. You go sure on stage and like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I mean, if, I, this if, is, this is, you know, if I saw that band on the stage doing that, I would think, well, this is a goof. This isn't, they don't really think that they're performing music. They're just, they're fucking with us. Yeah. It's, it basically, I think crossed into performance art, you know, it crosses into, it's not really meant to be music in that they didn't learn chords or, you know, what music really is. (laughs) Chords or singing or music. Um, 
The uh, those are old fashioned. <laughs> yeah, this is the first one. This is the first one where I'm like, no, I would never want to hear that song again. Yeah, so we're starting to cross into the noise uh, start of the program right now, where it's like the, the bands that get are get, you know, uh, into the area of what I was talking about with clear the room music, where if you put this record on, you know, it's like that Yoko Ono or something, just like <sighs> Captain Beefheart, where you just go, oh, what is going on? You have to recalibrate your ears. Um, and I cannot imagine anybody listening to this for fun. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely an acquired taste. Kyle, a taste I really haven't acquired, but I just wanted to give a, a kind of like, she was definitely a big part of the scene and this kind of music uh, with, you know, noise, uh, you know, kind of like metal machine music, that Lou Reed album. I don't know if you've ever tried to listen to that, but. I have it, it but I have it because it came in a box set, but I, I put on about 30 seconds of it and I, I can't listen to this. What were you going to say, Kyle? Um, did we talk about the where the name of the Mud Club came from? Yeah, I don't think we did, but it's um, Mud was a doctor who apparently uh, worked um, to save John Wilkes Booth after, I guess that's his biggest claim to fame. Um, yeah. And the building that the Mud Club was in was owned by a famous artist, uh, Ross Bleckner, you know, you know, talking about art on a podcast is a little silly, but um, no, it's good. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, it was definitely, um, there was some history to the, to the area, into the building. Um, and, uh, the, uh, friends who started it kind of immediately fell out and some of their, you know, there's all these kind of turmoils. I have, one of the things I was going to do is provide, you know, for your listeners, uh, maybe we'll do a little prize bag of, um, some of these books I got, uh, about the club and stuff. This one. Oh, look at that! Uh, he was like the doorman, and it's a, it's a big, thick book. That is a nice book. It is a good book, yeah. And then um, this this book I actually really liked a lot. This is called Life and Death on the New York Dance Floor. This also very big book. Yeah, people will uh, like these really, books. Yeah, no, this would be a good giveaway. And it's um, and then the third one is I have a vinyl copy sealed uh of the Eno album i was talking about nice oh. no new york which so we can mail that to some of your fans so troy you can you can send that stuff to me and then i'll send it to the winners that way you don't have to send it to three different people it's a deal all right cool well thank you those are great prizes yeah cool and so, and i want to say i don't know if you got this email pat i <laughs> troy sent a, what it, what I can only describe as a dissertation on the Mug Club with, like, and so like, uh, so hearing him talk about this, you know, he obviously you obviously know your stuff and aren't like us idiots when we're like I don't know maybe Kiss was bored this day or whatever. Like, I don't know why he's a cat. I mean, I don't think so, there's dog uh, makeup, so he went with the cat. Yeah, I, I, although uh, having read these books, it's kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It's. Uh, it's it's I, I'm as I said I, I I definitely would never pass my PhD dissertation on <laughs> way beyond. There's a lot to know, and people who lived it, of course, would say, "What's that idiot talking about it for?" You know, people like in some of these bands, you know, they'd be much better people to talk to than me. I'm I'm no Rob Halford um, on the subject of this stuff, but um, uh, Troy, let me ask you something because we didn't get into this. First of all, you look you look intelligent. Doesn't he look intelligent, Kyle? Troy looks yeah. intelligent. Yeah, you. 
you look like you would be invited to any panel to speak about whatever. Whatever, yeah. You know, it's like here's our expert, Troy. On <laughs> so what I want to know, Troy, is what, what what do you do? What is your work? Well, uh, I've been a copywriter, creative director, uh, pretty much since I moved to New York. So I've been uh, in for different levels of the advertising business, basically. And about four years ago, I switched into consulting. Okay. Um, so I'm still on the creative side of things, but uh, for a big consulting company. Cool. So a smart guy who's slumming it today with Kyle and I. <laughs> Kyle, yeah, thank I literally you. Took, literally took PTO today, paid time <laughs> off uh, to do this and other things because it's my birthday. And also- oh, happy, um, birthday. happy birthday, Troy. Thank you. Thank you. And also- um, uh, the it's the anniversary of the of the Mud Club opening. It opened on on Halloween, so we're right around the. Uh, oh, well, time. All, all these all these dates kind of came together beautifully. And Kyle dressed as Freddy Krueger today for Halloween, so that's I good. I love your sweater, Freddy. I wore a Tim Burton shirt. shirt. <laughs> Is one of your arms like really long and strange, Actually, like a Tim Burton yeah. movie? Yeah, there you go. Kyle scissor hands. All right. <laughs> um, all right, Troy, hit us with another one. Yeah. Hit so the next song is um, by a band called Mars. They're probably the most iconic. When I, I shouldn't even say iconic because these none of these are icons that anybody would recognize, but they are the most, what's the word, representative okay. of this, of this uh, group. And they were, um, this song is called 3E by Mars. specific out cue kyle do you have a specific out cue or am i am i um no i don't so if you just want to point dismissively okay but we haven't gone over 130 yet so okay cool now here's the deal um i couldn't understand i couldn't understand anything that the singer was saying not one word of that not one word yeah, not I, one I word to google i had to google those lyrics too they're cool lyrics actually but it's totally unintelligible <laughs> and then when you you were you brought up the ramones earlier yeah when when you hear that compared with the Ramones, the Ramones could have turned up at uh, Arnold's and played Fonzie's birthday party compared to that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's got like, it's like the Ramones with more noise and more distortion and more, yeah. uh, and, 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 and worse vocals. And um, it's like the Ramones turned to 11 or whatever, you know, it's yeah. just more intensely punk in some ways, but it was, that's, that's actually one of the more poppy songs they have. Uh, it just gets less and less easy to listen to after that. So their catalog is, is, 
is pretty tough. And how many albums does a band like Mars have? How many albums do they have? Like like zero. It's just singles. Uh, they they were on um, compilations. Yeah, exactly. They're on some compilation okay. things. They had they mainly released singles, I believe, and they, um, you know, like I said, they, these guys were not commercially oriented. They were they were artists. How long did what was the longevity for uh, some of these bands? Like in some cases, weeks. Um, <laughs> I have lists of these bands that, like you know, are 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 much less successful than the ones that actually recorded. Um, you know, and it's just, it was a very small, short little period of time, but I think Mars was together for a few years. They were one of the more together bands, but I mean, Sonic Youth, you could say is, is one of these groups and they're still, yeah, they're uh, still going until pretty recently anyway. Um, kicking. I think that was the, the only, uh, name I recognized when I was looking this. Yeah. And and it's kind of debatable whether they were part of the scene because they started, you know, later. So, um, they were definitely influenced by it. That's why I kind of put them at the end. But if you're a big fan of the Mud Club and you want to uh, you want to tout someone, you're probably going to say, "Well, Sonic Youth, Sonic yeah. Youth came out of it." Uh, kind of. I don't think they ever played there, but they played and you know that that setup of, of clubs around it. Gotcha. Know, I think the Mud Club probably had closed by that point. But um, the uh, yeah, definitely they were they were the, one of the people that came out of that scene. And um, we've heard uh, we've heard some women singing so far. Uh, were there a lot of women in this scene? It feels dangerous to me. I don't want my kid going over there. Yeah, I mean, Lower Manhattan was dangerous. So we had Lydia Lunch, who was a female singer. Right. And some of these bands had females in the bands. So um, I believe Mars has some, some, yeah, China Berg, I guess, is one of the people in the band. So yeah, some of these bands have female uh, members. And it was also kind of a white, you know, frankly, just like the punk scene, very yeah. white, you know, very kind of like... Uh, um, you know, a lot of straight white males getting their aggressions out. But it was, you know, one of the reasons why <clears throat> it was uh, so male is, you know, Lower Manhattan was a very dangerous place to be mm-hmm. um, as a single f- female. Uh, it, but, you know, the photographs and things I've seen from the various books I've looked at, um, there were more women than you might think. And mm-hmm. there were there was even more diversity than you might think. Like I mentioned Jean-Michel Basquiat. <laughs> it, I don't think the scene was was was, you know, overtly racist or anything like that. Right. In fact, probably the opposite. These are the more the artistic types. These are the more liberal types, if you will, than the punks that were hanging out at CBGBs. But it's, of course, all this is hard to say. I wasn't there. Um, if you were to, if you were to tell me that every single artist we're listening to today, they all died of a drug overdose, I would believe it. Cause that's <laughs> what, when I hear this music, I'm like, Oh, this guy's not alive anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, I, I can't say for a fact, uh, who was a junkie and who wasn't, but it's kind of appalling uh, how many people in this uh, scene um, had very bad drug problems. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, in general, the whole scene kind of imploded, you know, is, is like so many rock and roll um, scenes. It's it, people starting, start getting into heavy drugs and it just kind of falls apart. We're in a pandemic now where we're wearing masks and uh, I wear gloves. If I go out to some places, you know, if I need to uh, shop for something, can you imagine the filth that was in the mud club and in CBGB's? Like if you had to go to the bathroom at CBGB's, I mean, yeah, that, that bathroom is actually still in existence. Um, they saved it as like a, as like a relic. Uh, and there's now a John Varvartos, uh, you know, fancy clothing store in the old CBGB space, but they did save the bathroom um, and some other little moments of, they cleaned it. They cleaned it up though. Right. Or did they, Oh my God, I'm sure. Yeah, of course it doesn't reek, but um, (laughs) you know, they saved the graffiti. 
Um, but but some of the uh, you know you get some of the flavor of 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 how toilet like a lot of these places were. Yeah. Um, but also you look at the pictures of New York in the seventies, and it was really bombed out. There was something like three hundred and fifty fires in Lower Manhattan uh, in one year. Wow. You know, just whole, whole buildings were being set on fire by their landlords to collect the insurance. Oh my they were god. More dead than alive, you know, and and that's it's kind of amazing the city pulled out of that dive. Yeah. But um, in a way, what it's turned into, you know, this kind of like shiny um, condos for rich people, uh, you know, that that never even live here. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's a bit sad, too. It's going the exact opposite way. Yeah, I think cities in general, uh, I hope, as I was saying at the beginning, like I hope it sort of starts to, um, you know, we get some of these clubs that were closed down by neighbors like me. Um back. You know, I hope yeah. we get some of the nightlife in, in our cities back and some of the more interesting artistic types can afford to move, move into cities, whether those are in Cleveland or some other place, they don't all have to be in New York. I mean, yeah. that's, that's kind of silly. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly Chicago also went through a similar renaissance when I was there, it was really cheap when I moved there. When I left, it was starting to get, um, really pricey and fancy and there were ATMs all over the place and, you know, all these sort of dangerous neighborhoods that were the, you know, where the cool kids live. Yeah in where the uh fancy people wanted to live by the way if you're just joining us we we are we're talking with uh uh <laughs> professor troy torreson he's giving us a history of the mud club and uh, he's <laughs> lived it, he, he's lived it and uh and he's uh he's taking okay. us through the history uh troy what's yeah. the next tune yeah, the next tune is. Uh, are the songs getting uh, worse, or are we gonna are we gonna go up? Now? Are we gonna? Well, they're gonna get different. Um, they're gonna the get different. Okay. The next tune is also uh, a hard listen, but it's it's by a band called DNA, which was um, a guy named Ardo Lindsay, who's who's in the Ambitious Lovers. You might have heard of them. Um, but the the I'm uh, an the, ambitious the, lover, Troy. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> uh, but this song is called Blonde Redhead, and this song in you know a band named themselves Blonde Redhead after this song. I love the title. That's great. Now, with this one, I did like the music at first. It had kind of a chug a chug, and it had a little bit of like a country tinge under there. And then when the singer started, I th the first thing I thought of was, oh, this guy's on a ledge of a building, and he's ready to jump. And people yeah, are- Yeah, a lot of anxiety. A lot yes. of anxiety coming through there. That makes me, it, listening to that makes me anxious. It's yeah, like, that, uh, that, that puts me on edge a little bit, that one. 
Kyle, yeah. what thoughts yeah, from so Kyle? I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm not a huge fan of that vocalist either. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. I liked the, where the music was going and then it didn't go anywhere. Like it just like <laughs> kind of just kept, but um, yeah, the, and the vocals were, I, this I feel, might not be as bad as dire straits though i feel yeah, like it's like i'm at least awake <laughs> i feel like any of this music if bowie wrote lyrics like you said kyle and sang over it it would be uh, it would be amazing we would find something to uh grab hold of but uh maybe these uh these singers and lyricists didn't have the the chops although troy said if you can read the lyrics sometimes they're good yeah yeah yeah, I think uh, that this uh, they're going for an effect here. They're going to try to sound like, you know, like art music, anxiety, you know, uh, that that that's kind of like an actor on stage, you know, <laughs> panicking, you know, whatever. It, it has that that feeling of like a performance. It's performance art versus uh, music, I think. And Steve, and, Busch- and, and Steve Buscemi's uh, hanging out in the back of this club watching all this. Yeah, and and David Bowie is trying to get in the front. There was a story about uh, Bowie getting turned away or uh, by the, at the door because they they thought that the guy at the door um, didn't believe it was David Bowie because David Bowie should be tall, and they were like didn't realize that David Bowie was just like five foot nine or whatever. Yeah. Their their image of Bowie was like six foot five, <laughs> and and so Bowie stood out front in the cold apparently. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah. You know, with with everybody else waiting to get in, it was it was kind of a hot ticket. Uh, about a year after it opened, apparently, it was almost impossible unless you knew somebody to get through the door. So, did it? Were they making money there? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, a lot of these clubs, um, you know, did pretty well for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the famous one, of course, is Studio Fifty Four, where they right. made so much money. Uh, they were they were filling dollars into garbage bags and putting them in the ceiling until the feds got wind of that and. Uh, found some of the garbage bags <laughs> that's incredible and, uh, and shut that down. So the disco uh, world uh, dealt was dealt a huge blow uh, at that moment. But um, you know, I think uh, yeah, some of these clubs made money, but um, you know, of course the partners started fighting over it. Yeah. That's always the case. And they probably, and the bands probably weren't making money. No, I don't think so. I don't mo- think most of these bands made a dime really. I mean, if they did, they would, they made drinking money, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Put it all back into the club. Or in your veins. In your veins. Kyle, what's next? Or I'm sorry, Troy, what's next? Next is Liquid Liquid with Cavern. All right, I like this a lot so far. When's it going to break bad? Thank you. 
That might be my favorite one so far. I like that yeah. one a lot. Yeah. yeah that, that's a, I like that too. Um, it, it's, uh, it, as I said, that's been sampled uh, famously. Uh, and it's, uh, there was a huge lawsuit over it, but the band, the, the, uh, the people they sued went out of business before they could collect. So that's a sad story. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, that, that's funky <laughs> music and, and they have a couple liquid liquid has a couple of really great tracks that I think, uh, if you like that funky kind of, but kind of dark haunted, it's like haunted disco. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's really cool music. Kyle, write that down. Haunted disco. Let's pitch that to Netflix. <laughs> we'll see if we can get Mike Flanagan on board for that. Haunted Disco. Write it down. Um, yeah, that was good. I like that one a lot. Liquid Liquid. Now they they must have albums. I don't believe so. If they or maybe they do. Yeah, okay. Maybe they do. But I know it mainly on compilations. All right. Uh, again, they were like singles, uh, a lot of them. And they were they were actually um, you know, on on this really influential record label called 99 Records. 99 records was um, a, new, a, a New York label that had a lot of these weird um, indie bands and uh, it was a hangout for people. And the beastie boys, I guess, met Rick Rubin there, I think is one of the stories. Wow. That's a great, that's a real good story because look at that. Yeah. yeah and then this kind of music that you're hearing, this kind of funky, that, that, that sound um, you can really hear a lot of the club music that kind of came after disco, like Madonna with that really heavy bass and that sort of um, drum machine kind of locked in flavor. I think a lot of the, this, uh, this sound, this kind of synthesized um, dance music sound, you know, it had a big uh, influence on people. Very nice. I like it. What's next, Troy? Next uh, is a little um, other funky uh, side uh, of music, which is a band called ESG, which stands for Emerald, Sapphire and Gold. And the song is called Moody. All right. percussive like i'm into the drums and the bass but then uh, a lot yeah. of these songs there's not like i'm not hearing a lot of guitar no the last two <sighs> bands uh much more uh uh funky obviously mm -hmm. and um and and i you, i mean i hear a lot of madonna and and that kind of early uh that that sort of early 80s dance music that was going around um that that uh she you know borrowed <laughs> and you know and, and i think she had a little bit of success with it i believe yeah i've heard of her yeah she most people have heard of her i think so there definitely was um you know uh, some successes that came out of these these bands that were playing in these small clubs but unfortunately esg uh didn't really make uh 
the kind of money Madonna did. <laughs> and the the vocals on that song uh, reminded me a little bit of a like a Cindy Lauper type of a you know voice. Mm -hmm. um, what what did um because I don't have pictures of these bands, but you've obviously seen them in books and stuff. Were were they appealing to look at? Um, or were they a rough looking group? <laughs> I wouldn't. You know, I would say they were mostly like under uh, they they under leveraged their their looks if they had looks. You know okay. what I mean? Like they didn't try. So I can't think of any of these bands that really, uh, you know, had costumes or you know per performed with a look per se. Ima you know, image wasn't uh, image wasn't important. Right. So I think that's one of the big advantages of the new wave acts, like, you know, bands that really thought about that stuff, like Bauhaus, let's yeah. say, or The Cure or something. They had like a look, you know, hair yeah. or you would, you know, you, a band like, of course, Duran Duran, you know, mm -hmm. you know, had incredible, you know, visual style and incredible importance of, of hair and makeup and all that sort of stuff. And, and um, most of these bands that we're talking about, I think, uh, were just, you know, strung up in their street clothes and not really thinking about that or not even thinking about having their instruments being in tune. Either. Yeah. I mean, even the Ramones, I mean, they, they wore a costume, jeans, t-shirt, leather jacket, you know, Converse right. sneakers. That, that, that was their branding, right? It's, yeah. It's, a, it's all about knowing, you know, knowing who you are and being the same consistently. So people go, Oh, that's Johnny. Yeah. That's Didi. You know, I know they, they, their hair and their, yep. their look was the same and they, they really were smart about that. Yeah. I, they absolutely were. Yeah. And I think, um, some people, the bands that I'm, most of these bands that I'm playing, I think they, they looked at that as being, you know, fake. So don't be like that. Wow. That's great. And I respect that. I mean, I respect people that kind of look at, you know, rock and roll as being too corporate. And so let's, let's be real. Right. Um, but the mistake is of course that uh, people like that stuff. <laughs> let's uh let me ask you this, Troy, because I don't, because um, this will help us a little bit. What are your, who are your top three favorite recording artists? If you had to narrow it down to three, could you do it? Yeah. That way we'll know what kind of music you actually like. Right. No, that's a tough one. I mean. What if he it, says Madonna? <laughs> I like Britney Spears. I like Madonna. So, and I, I like I, Maroon 5. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that. Um, okay. So I'll just, I'll just go back into my history. Okay. So I, this is, this is more of a history lesson than it is like right now. Okay. Cause I think right now is tough. Um, but, um, I loved Pink Floyd mm -hmm. when I was in high school. They were like my favorite group Okay. and around college. I loved new order. All right. And then in, in the, um, say two thousands or so I love Radiohead. All right. That's good. That's cool. That's totally cool. So those are three and there's some overlap in those kind of bands, but basically that's kind of like alternative ish, classic rock ish, you know, but I, I also, you know, go down a lot of rabbit holes of different things that I like. So, you know, Elliot Smith or, you know, somebody like, uh, you know, people who are like more surprising to you, maybe like I like Bob Marley, you know, <laughs> there's all sorts of great stuff out there. And, I, and so my, my, connection with music wasn't so much one or two artists but i would make for my friends mixtapes okay and my my um i called them variety tapes because they would have everything from you know some of the music we're listening to these very obscure groups to um smith songs to you know bulgarian folk music you know just just all sorts of weird stuff that that i would hear about and find out and 
and um, try to, you know, convince people, hey, check this out. Thank God Troy didn't pick Bulgarian folk music as our topic today. Yeah, that's a tough rock and roll sell. <laughs> I don't think it's rock solid. Do you, uh, Troy, you have access to live music in New York, not right now, but uh, do you go to shows? I, I mainly have gone to see my my daughter uh, shows. So uh, she's, you know, got a little scene going with her, um, that, that world that she's a part of. So I've seen quite a few artists um, through her contacts and things. But um, no, I'm not a big live music guy. I never really was. Okay. It's a, it's kind of, I'm sort of sad to say it, but I, I would, you know, go to see shows in college and I went to show, shows, you know, occasionally with friends like to see the Beastie Boys or something mm -hmm. at Madison Square Garden. So I would see shows, but I mean, it, my main contact with music was, um, I like, uh, I like recorded music. So I would like um, going to clubs and things. And, and uh, so when I was in Chicago, I don't know if you have Cabaret Metro. Oh yeah. I, yep. I was there. Many yeah, times. so I would go. I would be in the. I would be at the uh, smart bar downstairs yeah. listening to the DJ versus upstairs listening to the the live bands. Gotcha. For the most part, I find the live band experience a little bit. You know, you're just sort of facing the stage, and most of the times the bands were kind of boring. Frankly, mm -hmm. I, I didn't see a lot of great um, bands sort of by accident. I, I have a few stories of like walking in, and just oh, this is this new band called Smashing Pumpkins, and they're playing tonight. You know, but I didn't have many uh, wow moments seeing live music, I, I generally was sort of disappointed. Is your daughter a solo artist or is she in a band? Um, I'd say a little bit of both. Uh, she's in a band uh, sometimes when she plays live, she sometimes plays with a band, um, but she can also, you know, singer songwriter kind of stuff. Uh, she's, her name is Emrose and she goes by that band name, Emrose, E-M-M-R-O-S-E. And is there music on, uh, on uh, iTunes or online that we can find? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. Um, all the platforms. And is she, is she signed with anyone like a label right now? Or is it all independent? Uh, she's still independent, but she's uh, got a sync deal. If, if, uh, if you know your world, world of music. Um, so her, her work could be in commercials and that sort of thing. All right, cool. Well, let everyone check uh, out Emrose E M M R O S. Okay. Check that out. Everybody let, yeah. uh, let's let her, let her music spike a little bit. Thanks to, uh, thanks to our listeners. Yeah. And that's a good segue to the next band, which is called Bush Tetras. Oh, wait, say that uh, again, Troy. Bush Tetras. Okay. Like the Tetra is the fish, I guess. I don't know really where this term comes from, but uh, this is kind of like the closest thing to a no wave girl group. All right. Um, they, uh, they have a song here called Too Many Creeps, which is what women often feel like when they're walking down the street. And is, this is going to sound like the Go-Go's, I assume. A little bit. Oh, I was being, uh, I was just kidding. Let's see. All right. I just don't want to go out in the street no more. I just don't want to go out in the street no more. Because these people can give me Too many creeps, too many creeps, too many creeps. 
That was cool. I could actually, uh, I could actually hear Debbie Harry sing something like that. Yeah, it's got a little of that, um, you know, funk in the background like we had from some of those earlier yeah. songs. But um, yeah, there's some good songs by them. I, I think they're one of the ones that got away. They kind of uh, imploded, but I think they've had some reunions and things. They, they got a little college radio play, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it, it's uh, definitely, uh, I think, a good sound. Uh, that kind of girl rock uh, band so, sort of sound um, that uh, I, I wish there were more bands like that. I feel like the songs that I'm enjoying, like that one, aren't in really indicative of what the mud club was about. I think if it started to veer into anything mainstream, then it wasn't mud club esque. Am I right or wrong? I, I don't think it was that difficult of a listen to be there. I, I get the, I, I, there actually is in one of these books, um, like a playlist of what the DJ played mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a given night and some of the lists of bands that played. And a lot of them were more, a little more mainstream and a little more palatable. Okay. I, I wanted to give you a range of things. Um, I get you. But um, the, the uh, yeah, the, the um, that band would play there, would play at the Mud Club. And, you know, I think, I'm sure it was a, it was a good time. I mean, I could take any genre of music, whether it's folk music or Americana or heavy metal, and I could play you a bunch of shit songs from that genre, and you'd be like, ugh, and then I could play you good songs from that genre, and you'd be like, oh, this is good. So I get it. Okay, I'm getting it now. I'm learning Professor Troy Torreson. I don't think think all this is, uh, I I mean, I'm giving you a sample of of a, you know, a tiny number of these groups that were part of this, and this is meant to be kind of the, the the intro. I think most people will find the deeper you go, the harder it gets. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Right. So next we have one of the people that was on one of the earlier bands, uh, Glenn Branca. Now he um, was a real musician and um, kind of no, as an artist. But Wait know, a minute. Really, that, that makes me laugh, Troy, because <laughs> it makes it sound like no one else we've heard yet is a real musician. But here's one. Here it is, guys. This guy's the deal. Well, he became like a, a, a kind of a famous composer. Okay. You know? So he became like, he started doing these guitar symphonies and um, basically went in the direction of classical, you know, whatever we call classical music today. But it's like, um, I think that that that's an interesting little offshoot of this, of like kind of like super modern classical music, like, um, you know, that, you know, people like John Cage and those sort of, you know, avant-garde composers got into um, noise, for lack of a better term. And about we're about to hear some. Okay, let's hear some noise. Symphony number one. Thank you. 
Wow. That was rough. That's rough. It yeah. was a little rough. Um, I like the drums. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Kyle, for being positive. <laughs> the ones? Yeah. Uh, Let's is hear it, Kyle. Is the whole album like that? Uh, a lot of his stuff is like that. Yeah. It's okay. It, it's very much. Whole body um, of work. It's it's meant to kind of wash over you, I think, as a, uh, you know, some of it's easier to listen to than others, but um, I just want to give you a flavor of like the more out there stuff. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, an acquired taste. And now, is that something that you would listen to? You would throw that? Okay, good. <laughs> no, not at all. All right, cool. <laughs> no, I just wanted to give a range because I think people might get the wrong idea. They're like, oh, this, why wasn't this pop music celebrated more wi- mm-hmm. widely? And it's yeah. like, well... There was a lot of stuff like that and a lot of, you know, art spaces uh, downtown that would play, you know, you just sort of walk into the room and hear, you know, 45 uh, amplifiers blasting that and um, leave the room. All right. I would think like if I walked into that room and there were people that were that were looking like they were actually enjoying that music. I would not believe it at all because I'm cynical. I'd be like, these people, they they don't really like this. This is, they're, they're being pretentious. They're pretending that they like it just to feel like they're self-important. Yeah. Or they're, they're friends with the artist. Right. right. Or they're friends and with they're the artist. They're there because they're sort of, they're, they're, they're there to uh, encourage him. And, 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 but you know, he got commissions. He got um, a lot of people, uh, I don't know um, if he was very charming, mm-hmm. but um, to me, have, if you put that on paper and wrote that as musical, uh, you know, wrote that out for the people in your band to say, okay, guys, this is what we're going to be playing tonight. You know, it'd be like, you need some guts to do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, and on you know, paper, on paper, it might be pretty intricate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that the people uh, who are influenced by that, like you said, they hear something in that and, uh, even though they may not stay for the whole concert, they go, Oh, that gives me an idea. And the band that kind of was most inspired by that was, uh, was the last band Sonic youth, okay. which, you know, there is a lot of um, Glenn Branca in the way they played their guitars, the way they tuned their guitars weirdly. Um, they kind of like, uh, you know, had those kind of angular kind of moments of things speeding up, slowing down, that kind of stuff. And, and um, you know, that is, kind of like the the end point if you will for this show and this this the genre of music this no wave music it's a genreless genre but um it's uh you know sonic youth really kind of came out of this and i think influenced a lot of bands like nirvana and bands that that uh that also played with noise and feedback and things like that so the last song is uh from the album confusion is sex kill your idols by sonic youth all right let's hear it, kyle Yeah. 
All right. Excellent. Troy, you know your stuff. I don't know. Yeah, he's a I, professor. I, I think you can kind of hear <laughs> that that sort of like a synthesis of a lot of the things we're talking about. It's got that sort of, um, you know, a lot of noise in there, a lot of dissonance, but also there's a pop song in there somewhere maybe too. And they sort of put it together and they became obviously the most successful band to come out of this. Uh, absolutely. And it's it's funny what we didn't hear in any of these songs were uh, one, two, three, four. Like no one counted in. It was just um, here we go. We're off and running to the yeah, avant-garde it's, races. Uh, it's it's pretty hard. And, and you know, they obviously they, they toned themselves down, I think, more than most of these mm -hmm. uh, people because they they had a long career, you know, and it's like they they tried different things. And some of them were much, much popular than that. Well, Troy, uh, it was a long time coming to record this, but I hope uh, I hope you had fun. Definitely. And here's what I want to do since uh, since we're out of songs, and even though it doesn't go in with uh, the theme uh, of the show today, I would like to play out with an Emrose song. So, is oh. there is there one that you can you can recommend, and then uh, I will purchase that and I will uh, tack it on to the end of this episode. Sure. Well, I think her uh, her big hit, if you will, is okay. called Tonight. All right. Um, it, it, you know, because this is now, for me, heading into night, uh, that would be a good one. All right. So we're going to play out with M. Rose's Tonight, and it'll uh, cleanse the palate of what we've uh, what we've heard. And yeah. Troy, are you are you on social media? Are you on Twitter? Do you want people to follow you? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah you know sure okay uh, Which, actually if you want to follow me I, I have a lot of mix uh variety mix uh collections on spotify you can find me very easily on spotify that might be a good place to start and we just search your name troy torreson yeah i'm the only troy torreson in the world all right when you and you're a professor so look for <laughs> professor troy torreson on spotify <laughs> kyle what's going on with you um not much do it working and that's about it. And how long are you going to be in yeah. Texas? Uh, probably through the holidays, I would assume. And you, through Christmas. I think so. And you moved down there to join a militia, correct? I did. Yeah. All right, good. Um, and this is your, this is, uh, this is your wife, Marissa, or I'll say my niece, I can say my niece, right? I got a fucking niece now. Yeah, your your uh, niece-in-law. My niece-in-law. This is her time of year, Halloween, right? Yeah. So is trick-or-treating so, banned in Texas right now? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Her sister lives in Houston, so she's coming for okay. the weekend, and they're going to make cupcakes and stuff. All right. So you'll you'll have some Halloween celebrations. Oh, a bowl of Frankenberry. It'll be all good. <laughs> all right. You can Kyle, follow Kyle at Kyle.SonFunny. You can find everything about the show uh, at www.RockSolidPodcast.com. Kyle, do I need to say the W's anymore? No, I, I don't, don't think so. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at rock solid show and Troy again. Thank you so much for doing this. I will send you my yes, address. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. What are you going to do tonight? Anything is your wife going to cook you a meal? I uh, know we're going to order in, but uh, we are, uh, we definitely, I, I, we've got cake, so we're good. All right, cool. And how old of a gentleman are you? Can I ask that? I think we're the same age. I think we're uh, mid fifties. I'm so. 56. I'll be 57 in February. Uh, so you're a touch older than me. Well, you didn't have to say that, Troy. <laughs> That's something I didn't need to hear. 
Um, no, no, just just a, just a hair. Uh, no, we're 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 practically the same. Okay, uh, cool. I will uh, I will send you uh, I will send you my address so you can send me those awesome prizes. That's terrific. And then uh, we'll think of some uh, type of a question for that. That's it. That's the show. Everybody enjoy Troy's daughter, Emrose. And the song is Tonight. I could lie and say I'm fine, but that's useless. Is it the people or just stress? Makes no difference. Over there, I see your stare, and it's intriguing. Is it my eyes or the perfection of this evening? The strobe lights. So turn on. Touch.